The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Well, our text this morning is out of Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we're reading from verses 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past of the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received all things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, their desire they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Yes, that is true. A chorus of little amens will never be, never be turned down there. So I appreciate that little voice emanating from over here, whoever is shouting out the amens. So as you just heard, we're continuing through our study in Hebrews, and we find ourselves in probably one of the most famous chapters in the book of Hebrews. If people are going to know anything from the book of Hebrews, it's probably the content of chapter 11. And here we are looking at uh, these verses, as you're going to hear, that are specifically surrounding the by-faith actions of Abraham and Sarah. And so what we're going to do is we're going to hit pause. We're going to pray here in a minute. But what you're going to see is that the theme, I think the author wants us to see, that is stitching together the by-faith actions of Abraham and Sarah is this idea of what does faith look like in difficult circumstances? What does faith look like in difficult circumstances? The main idea comes down to this, that we, God's people, exercise true faith when we trust God's promises in difficult circumstances. Notice the emphasis on difficult circumstances. We're going to learn, and I think most of us have experienced in some way, that it can be easy to walk with God, trust in him in easy circumstances. But when life gets difficult, when life gets hard, or the call of God in a particular time is an invitation into the difficult we're going to recognize, all of us have probably tasted and seen, just how hard it is to trust the promises of God in the midst of difficulty. Especially when God is saying, I'm calling you into this. But Abraham and Sarah stand as a model of what it looks like to endure to the end, walking by faith, 
trusting in this God who made those promises, inviting you into the midst of those difficult circumstances, okay? So we're going to hit pause. We're going to pray. We're going to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit loves to do, which is take the spotlight and just shine it squarely on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might see him, honor him, know him, glorify him, and worship him all the more, okay? So let's pause and ask the Holy Spirit to do that in our hearts and minds right now as we dive into the text that the Holy Spirit led the author to write, okay? So let's pray. Jesus, our aim right now is to do what you are worthy of, and that is to just set our hearts, affections, our minds, eyes squarely on you. You are the only one worthy of being the center of our universe. In our next several minutes together, our aim is to do that, to see you clearly, worship you purely, to trust you wholeheartedly, and recognizing that we need the Holy Spirit to empower the preaching of the word so that when we hear these verses explained to us, that the result will be the answer of these prayers, these desires we have to see Jesus high, lofty, and lifted up. So Holy Spirit, come, empower this time, do this now for your name's sake, Lord Jesus, for your glory, Lord Jesus, we are asking and praying in this way. Set me aside, as it were, so that the spotlight would shine directly on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in the name of King Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Well, Hebrews chapter 11 is one one very long chapter, 40 verses, looking at pictures of faith over and over and over and over again. Last week we worked from 1 through 7, and now we're obviously transitioning from verse 7 into verse 8. And as we transition from verse 7 into verse 8, we are transitioning to the man of faith himself, the man Abraham. But as we will see, the assurance of things hoped for, which is part of the definition the author has given us of what faith is, the conviction of things not seen, this wasn't merely a marker of Abraham, but it was very much a defining reality for Sarah, his wife, as well. By faith, the author is going to tell us, Abraham obeyed God, and by faith, Sarah received power to conceive a child in her old age. And what we're going to recognizes that what both Abraham and Sarah were doing in those moments when God said, Abraham, it's time to get up and it's time to go. And when he looks at Sarah and says, Sarah, the way this promise of a seed, a lineage of other people who will be folded into the family of God, the way that's going to take about is from a miracle being performed by me as God in you, Sarah, both Abraham and Sarah heard these promises and they relied on nothing except that God had promised these things would come about. And so what did they do? They took God at his word and they lived their life accordingly. 
On one hand, when you look at the whole of Hebrews chapter 11, it is to be taken as one unit highlighting individual expressions of faith in the living God, faith that endured to the end. That is the identifying marker of all the people that we're going to see when you work through Hebrews chapter 11. But on the other hand, what we can also do is zoom in on these little sections and see what I would argue what the author is doing. He's also stitching together some themes So while you can look at Abraham's life and see how he walked by faith, and you can look at Sarah's life and see how she walked by faith, there's these sections where you can put them together and see there's a theme that's sort of binding them together. And I think that's exactly what we have together when we look at Abraham and Sarah. So while last week we looked at Abel, Enoch, and Noah... And they showed us the theme of just what does it simply look like to walk by faith in the living God. What you're also going to see is that Abraham and Sarah are going to show us the same walk, but they're going to do it answering this question. What does it look like to walk by faith in difficult circumstances? As I said a little while ago, it's easy to walk by faith in easy circumstances, but it's very hard to walk by faith, trusting in the goodness of God who keeps his promises, whose words will never falter and never fail when the circumstances of life prove themselves to be trial, suffering, hardship. Totally opposite of easy, the most extremely difficult thing you've ever gone through in your entire life we can begin to wobble in those moments. Asking ourselves, can I really trust God right now in this moment? Is he truly trustworthy? Is he one upon whom I can anchor the foundations of my life in this moment? I know I could have said it yesterday before the diagnosis came in, but the diagnosis has come in today. Can I trust him? I know I had a job yesterday. I don't have a job today. Can I trust him? I know my family member was alive, but that family member was just taken out of nowhere. Can I trust God right now in this moment? I think what the author is trying to help these Hebrew Christians realize, and subsequently you and I realize, is that in the easy and in the hard, in the good and in the bad, in the life circumstances that we embrace, and in the life circumstances we wouldn't wish on our worst enemy, God can be trusted. When he speaks his promises in his word, we can bank our life on them, and we can walk by faith, trusting in them. Our hope does not need to waver. Even if we cannot see them, we can have the certain assurance of trusting in the Lord who will do this. When the certain assurance of God's promises, this is what we're going to see in Abraham and Sarah, when the certain assurance of God's promises drive you from the familiar, the comfort of familiarity, And when the promises of God drive you to embrace the unknown, there you are on the precipice of the unknown. You're like, I have no clue what this thing's going to look like. When the promises of God cause you to stand out in the midst of a world who wants nothing to do with God, but there you are trusting in God in the most insane circumstances, according to the world's definition, you look like a completely crazy, radical Jesus follower. That is difficult. And because you dare in that moment to take God at his word in the seemingly impossible nature of the task that God is calling you to in that 
moment, I'm telling you, friend, you know of what Abraham and Sarah went through because all of those things, I'm going to argue, is exactly where Abraham and Sarah found themselves. And so what does the author do? He dips back into the Old Testament, he pulls them forward, and he lays them before us so we would see them and go, that really encourages me to run hard after the one who is the better one, the better priest offering the better sacrifice of the better blood of the better covenant. Abraham and Sarah are meant to encourage us not to just be better people. Abraham and Sarah are there to encourage us to love and cherish and worship and magnify the better one, the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So in order to encourage his audience to press forward by faith, even when it is hard to do so, the author invites us to first consider how true faith lives in difficult circumstances. How true faith, point number one, lives in difficult circumstances. Look at your copy of Scripture Look at what the author started writing there in verse 8. By faith, Abraham. What did Abraham do? Abraham obeyed. He obeyed when he was called by God to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. You see, quite often Abraham and Sarah are considered great examples to follow because of the faith they displayed in the living God, and rightly so. You see him pop up in the book of Galatians. You see him pop up in the book of Romans. Other, Everyone's going back to Abraham. Abraham is like the exemplar par excellence. He is the one everyone says, here is someone. He and his wife, they are the ones who walked by faith. But what is missed is how their walk of faith was often exercised in the midst of difficulty. We can sort of look back with a nostalgic fondness and go, yeah, Abraham, it was so great. I wish I was like Abraham, not realizing maybe what we we're wishing on upon ourselves because Abraham and Sarah didn't just have the easy breezy life of pursuing God. They pursued God by faith in a lot of difficulty. Between the two of them, difficulty after difficulty is highlighted concerning God's promise of an inheritance of land that was to come to Abraham and through Sarah and the promise of a great people, a lineage, a descendant list of people who would walk by faith like them. But instead of bailing on the promises of God when those difficulties showed up, guess what they did? Abraham and Sarah pressed forward by faith. By faith. You see, it is difficult. It is difficult to walk by faith when you have to leave the familiar behind. When God says, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to go. I'm asking you to do this. I know where you're at right now is very familiar to you. There's a lot of routine. There's a lot of comfort. But I'm asking you to leave the routine, leave the comfort, leave the familiar behind. And I'm asking you to go. But what you notice there, starting up in verse 8, is that's exactly what Abraham did. He left the familiar behind when God called him to go. The word came to God. He spoke clearly to Abraham. Abraham heard clearly. And when God spoke, he took him at his word. He got up and went and left the familiar behind. You can find this in Genesis 12. You go all the way back to Genesis 12. You find Yahweh talking to Abraham. And Abraham heard these words from Yahweh. I'm telling you, Abraham, right now, I want you to leave your country. Leave it. 
I know it's familiar to you, but I want you to leave it. I want you to leave your people behind. I know you have friendships. I know you have family. I know you and Bob love hanging out the water cooler every Monday morning after a long weekend, but you're leaving him behind. I want you to leave your father's household. I know your second cousin, twice removed, is your best friend, and I know your great uncle Hank is the one you really like, but you're, you're leaving them behind. I want you to go. And I want you to get up, and I want you to go, and I'm going to have you go to a land I will show you, he says. So he gets up and goes, not knowing where he is actually being called to go. And what was the response in that moment? Verse 8, two words, Abraham obeyed, period. He obeyed. You see, one of the biggest obstructions to radical faith in your life and in my life is our inordinate love for the familiar. Familiar is comfortable to us. Routine is cherished. The well-knowns of our lives are secure, they're peaceful, and they're enjoyable. And to have these things in right balance in our lives is completely okay. But when an inordinate love for the cherished customs of familiarity lead us to walk by sight and not by faith, then we have gone astray. And Abraham stands here as an example that challenges us to question, why am I saying no or why am I saying yes to certain things in my life? Is it because of an inordinate love for the familiar, cherished, routine customs of my life to where I'm hearing God clearly say something to me and in essence I'm saying no to you God because I know if I say yes that means I will have to leave the familiar behind. Abraham stands as an example to say walking by faith can be difficult especially when you have to leave the familiar behind. But notice that it goes on in that He also shows us, the author, that it is also difficult to walk by faith when we are called into the unknown. So he was called to leave the familiar behind and step into the unknown reality before him. Having obeyed Abraham, he says up here in verse 8, went out not knowing where he was going. For the best of us, this is extremely difficult. Does anyone here only like to move forward when they have like all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted? It's like I need like a 20-point, you know, slideshow of the complete plan of systems and structures and how it's all going. Yeah, that's me, unfortunately, right? I see a couple of lovely, familiar souls. The rest of us, you probably just are, are, apparently just are chaotic and your life is just miserable. So I don't know how you do it. But for me, it's like, okay, yeah, Jesus, I'll go where you to go. But first, we need to do X, Y, and Z, and A, B, C, and what's the systems and the structures, and how are you going to do this, Jesus? And then like, what, what we're sort of revealing there in that moment in our heart is, I will be obedient, and I'll walk by faith if I understand what's going on, of course, and I sign off on this. So for the best of us, walking by faith when we are called into the unknown is extremely difficult. We are a people who resent the unknown and will do whatever it takes to live in the knowns of life. But for Abraham, his obedience notice, his trust, his by-faithness of his life was not conditioned upon a full knowledge of God's plan. God said, I'm telling you to go. And God spoke and he said, okay, I'm going to go. I don't know where I'm going. I'm leaving the familiar behind. I'm leaving people. I'm leaving family. I'm leaving friends. I'm leaving job. It's all gone. And I'm going somewhere where I don't understand. And the reason why I'm doing it is because God 
is worthy to be trusted in that moment. He was given no location. If you go back and read the Genesis account, it wasn't like God said, here's a map and here's a compass and bear north on 360 degree, you know, 345 degrees and hang a left up there when you get to the Arabian desert and you know, roll on. He didn't do that. Yet, Abraham entertained no doubts over what God was doing with him. He entertained no doubts whether or not God would direct his steps. The word, listen, the word of God held unrivaled authority in his life. Does the word of God hold unrivaled authority in your life? When God speaks in the scriptures and makes his will known to you as clear as day, do you sit there and debate it and be like, well, I don't know if I do this. I won't quite know what to do with my life. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know. If it's, I mean, that, to obey this thing in your word, Lord, that means I'm going to leave behind the unfamiliar. Do we challenge the authority of God's word in our lives? Or does the word of God hold unrivaled authority in our lives? For Abraham, it was this, God's word is the supreme authority he spoke i heard i'm going to obey and i don't need to know all the details i'm going to trust that if he is the one calling me to this task to this thing then my my sole trust is that he has got it all figured out and he will supply what needs to be supplied and he will show me what to do when it's time to do it but i'm just going to walk by faith in this moment God's word was completely reliable. So when God said go, Abraham got up and went straight off into the unknown by faith. But look, verse 9, we also see another way walking by faith is difficult. And in starting in verse 9, we see this, that it is difficult to walk by faith when you're going to stand out. So some of us might say this, leaving the familiar behind, easy. Going into the unknown, I'm sort of adventurous. I like it. Sign me up. But what we don't like is that to walk by faith in this way means when the horn blows and everyone is bowing the knee to the idol, there you are standing up saying, I refuse to bow the knee. You're standing out like a sore thumb. Because you have said this, God's word holds unrivaled authority in my life. And because God said do this, God said don't do this. God said speak this way, don't speak this way, trust me in this way, walk this way, live this way. The rest of the world is saying we will not, we will not, we will not, we will not do this. But there you are standing out like a sore thumb because you are walking by faith. By faith, Abraham took off at God's command, he says there in verse 9, and went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. A foreign land. As travelers on the gospel way, walking by faith in the living God will mean that we stand out as different. When the common vernacular of earthly citizenship is that of unbelief, the by-faith language, the by-faith actions, the by-faith thoughts of heavenly citizens is going to shine like a light in the darkness and it will make you look like the spiritual foreigner you truly are. Has anyone ever been pegged in the workplace as a spiritual foreigner to keep up the language? How come you're not chiming in on those jokes that are really nasty? 
How come you're not joining in the gossip? How come you're not throwing that coworker under the bus? How come you're not nasty to your parents like I'm nasty to your parents? How come you're not? How come you're not? How come you're not? Those are the questions from an unbelieving world recognizing there's something different about you. You stand out. There's something foreign about you. There's this foreign aspect, this exile aspect, this sojourner aspect to where you just don't talk the talk of the locals. You don't believe the beliefs of the locals. And here you are standing out by faith as a foreigner in an earthly land because your citizenship is not of the earth. Your true ultimate citizenship is a citizenship of, of heaven. Now, most of us don't like to stand out like that, which is why we go into the workplaces and we go into the homes and we go into the stores and we enter into relationships. And what we try to do is we try and dampen down just how different we are in Christ. Because we know that if I speak like the gospel foreigner that I truly am, I will stand out and I don't want to stand out. And so the way to not stand out is to try to deny my spiritual heritage, my spiritual lineage, my spiritual foreignness, the alien nature of who I truly am in Christ. But the fact remains, says the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, is this, our citizenship is in heaven. And from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we walk by faith in this Savior, our heavenly citizenship will shine like a light and it will cause us to stand out. Abraham and Sarah knew this. But fourth, if you continue on, we also see that that wasn't also the only difficulty. Having said these things, the author isn't quite done. He also wants us to see how it is also difficult to walk by faith when it's going to affect others. So here you are, you might say, leaving familiar, I'm cool with it. Standing out, don't mind it. Walking into the unknown, I love it, sign me up, here's an adventure. But now all of a sudden, maybe what you begin to realize is when I begin to walk by faith, my decision is going to affect other people. Maybe it's going to affect your spouse, or maybe it's going to affect your loved ones, or maybe it's going to affect your children. Obeying God by faith meant that Abraham's family was affected for Abraham found himself living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. So do you see what he's saying here? When Abraham heard God say, leave, 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 and he got up and left, it wasn't like Abraham said, peace, Sarah, hope you guys figure it out, hope the kids grow up well, and I'm out of here. No, 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 Sarah left with him. The kids left with him. His family and friends were left behind. When you're sitting there on the precipice of hearing God speak clearly through his word, making promises, and you don't know much, but you do know this, God is calling me to obedience in this issue. There, if you're human, what runs across the radar of your mind is this, if I walk out in obedience to this thing that God is calling me to, if I step out in faith, this will mean not only will I suffer hardship, but others might as well. My kids might as well. My wife might as well. If I stand up and take a radical stand by faith, living like the gospel refugee that I truly am at work, I could lose my job. And if I lose my job, I have no money. If I have no money, I have no way to pay a mortgage. And if I have no way to pay a mortgage, I have no home. And that means my kids are going to be homeless. Surely some of us here have thought through that. Yeah? 
especially in today's day and age, where standing up for Christ is becoming an extremely hostile act, where you may not be persecuted uh, uh, physically, but there are things that can happen to you. Okay, if that's the way you want to live your life, man, we'll just downgrade you to the lowest thing, and there you are just barely making any money to make it. Well, that's the way you're going to live life here in the workplace. We'll just take the job away from you and give it to someone else. And, then, and I'm just telling you, some of us have been there. Maybe some of us are here right now going, man, if I walk by faith in the midst of the circumstance, it could go bad not just for me, but me and then subsequently others. And when we find ourselves there, I'm just telling you, you find yourselves in similar, on a similar path as Abraham and Sarah. Not only is it difficult to walk by faith when you're the one affected by your obedience, but the difficulty of trusting God increases when it means others, like your friends and family, are going to be affected. When God calls us to let goods and kindred go in trusting obedience to him, the last thing in the world would ever want to do is to hurt those we love. We don't want them to suffer any hardships. We don't want them to set any, have any setbacks. And so what we do is we hedge our bets and go, okay, was God really saying this? I mean, I think I heard him say, but if I do exactly what he said, that might mean that I lose my job in this illustration. And so what I'm not going to do is I'll obey like, like, like 75% of it, but I won't obey quite that last quarter of it because that last quarter of it's the thing that's probably going to get me fired. And so we begin to hedge our bets. We begin to question God. God, are you really saying this? Like, I, I just don't quite know that you are because, I mean, if you knew what I knew in this situation, God, I'm probably going to lose my job if I live like this. So surely you don't have all the facts. So we begin to question him in those sorts of ways. Or what we'll simply do is just look at him and go, I'm just not going to do it. I know what God is calling me to do, but I just ain't going to do it. I'm not going to walk by faith when he calls me to go. But here again, Abraham stands as our example. You roll down into Sarah, we learn the last lesson of how it's difficult. How else is it difficult to walk by faith? When you see in this last difficulty, when you look at Sarah, is that this couple, Abraham and Sarah, they learned this. It is difficult to walk by faith when the promise seems impossible. When the promise seems impossible. Not only was there a promised inheritance of land, but also a promised lineage of descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. But the problem with this promise is that when you looked at the bald facts, the promise just straight up seemed impossible. Abraham received the promise when he was 75. There's a 10-year gap between he, if you go back and read your Bible, so Sarah would have been 65 well past baby-bearing age then. 25 years go by, we read in the Bible, and here is Abraham sitting on the precipice of 100, and Sarah is 90. The promise hasn't quite been fulfilled yet, but then God shows back up, and he says, listen, guys, the thing is still on. That thing I promised 25 years ago, it's not like I've forgotten it. Now is the time, now is the place this thing is going to come to pass. I was thinking about this the other day, 25 years. Most of us have trouble banking on the promises of God for 25 seconds. 25 years ago, I was 15. Imagine that. It'd be like God telling me as a teenager in high school, sophomore year, 15-year-old, John, I'm going to do this thing in your life, and years and years and years go by, and here I am as a 40-year-old, and God shows back up and says, that thing I told you, it's coming to pass. 
Abraham didn't waver on that. He just simply said, listen, if God said it, God's going to do it. I'm going to live my life accordingly. He had his wobbles, as you guys know, because age was starting to slip by. What did he do? He and Hagar slipped off, and he tried to fulfill the promise on his own. He got woken up pretty, pretty abruptly there. But here is God now, Abraham 100, Sarah 90, and everyone's looking around saying, dude, you keep telling us when you were 75 this thing was going to happen. Sarah, you kept going around telling us when you were 65 you're going to have this child, and this child is to be part of the lineage, and a lot, a lot of people are going to come from you, a lot of by-faith people is innumerable as the stars. And they say, well, what's going on here? And they're just looking at the straight-up bald facts of what is staring him in the face, and everyone would look at them and go, this is impossible. I know what God said. It cannot come to pass. Just look at the two of you. Sarah was past the age, says the author, which is a very kind way of saying she was just way too old to have kids. Abraham was as good as dead, says the author, which I think is one hilarious, and is a hilarious way of saying the same thing. I know you're alive, but bro, you're basically as good as dead when it comes to making babies. It's like, okay, that gets the point across. It's not like there's a little shimmer of hope. You're telling me there's a chance there's my baby. He's like, no, 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 there ain't, there ain't no chance. The dude's 100. Sarah's 90. Everyone can figure it out pretty quickly. Ain't no, ain't no way. The physical limitations, hear this, the physical limitations of the man and woman involved all would look at it and say, there's just no way. There's no way this promise could be fulfilled. But borrowing the words of Jesus who said, with God, all things are possible, what happens then with that reality in the forefront of our minds, what we can assess then is this. The things that seem impossible with man are most gloriously possible with God. And God so often works in that tension so that one person gets the glory when the promise is fulfilled. Who? Himself. Sarah took Yahweh at his word when he said, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? By faith, Sarah could say with resounding certainty, no, nothing is too hard for him. Therefore, she lived her life in this way. She considered him faithful who had promised. She's looking in the mirror. The reflection is a 90-year-old woman who's past her age, but the resounding, certain, convictional assurance of her soul is this. God does not lie. God made a promise, and I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to bring it to pass, this I know beyond a shadow of a doubt because nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is impossible for him. He's not a liar. He's not going to say one thing and sort of snicker in the corner because he set us up to fail. The faithful God who keeps his promises was her motivation to walk by faith. And how did Abraham walk by faith like his wife? What did he believe by faith that motivated him to obey? It's verse 10. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is, is God. In other words, Sarah said, I'm going to walk by faith. And the reason I walk by faith is because he who made this promise, I consider him to be faithful. And so I'm going to live my life accordingly. Abraham trusted and banked on the promise of a land coming to him. 
But his hope didn't hang on what he could see. His hope didn't hang on a tent pinched on a parcel of land in Canaan. Rather, his hope, says verse 10, hung on the conviction of what you could not see. That better Canaan land, whose designer and builder is God, that eternal city whose foundations rest on the promise that the dwelling place of God is with man and for those who have been declared righteous by faith in him, will be his people and he will dwell with them. You see, all these difficulties were present and accounted for in Abraham and Sarah's life, yet they demonstrated true faith by trusting God's promises in difficult circumstances. So I want to get just extremely practical for you here in a, in, right now. With what does this mean for you? I want to look at this in a narrow way and I want to look at this in a broad way. In a narrow way, it comes down to this. Some of you right now are sitting here this morning and God is calling you to do something. And he has made it as clear as day. You don't know much in life, but you know this. God has spoken so stinking clearly to you that it is just, it'd be flat out sinful disobedience, sinful unbelief if I don't walk forward and by faith in this. But you understand the difficulty that will come as a result of walking in obedience to this. Some of them, some of us here are probably being called to move somewhere. Like Abraham. Some of us are being called to leave the familiar behind. I know you've been working that job for 25 years. I know you know those neighbors and friends, but God is looking at you in the face and saying, get up and go now. For some of you, you find yourself leaning into the difficulty of the unknown. I don't know what this means for me to walk by faith in this thing. God is clearly revealing to me from his word. And I think that's an important caveat right now. I'm not saying, like, do you have a funny feeling in your tummy that God might be doing something? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, did you have, like, sort of, like, just some funky vibe that you sort of of just have been catching from people? I'm saying Abraham heard from God clearly. The word of God came to Abraham, and he heard clearly. How do you and I hear the word of God clearly from this right here? So here you are in prayer, here you are in the word of God, and the God of the word is now telling you, speaking to you through this, and he's saying, go, go be the missionary, pack it up, go across the street, leave your job, start something new, stop doing this thing. And you're doing as you're recognizing that it's going to be unfamiliar, it's going to be unknown. If I do this, I'm going to stand out. If I do this, it will affect others. I don't know what else to tell you, but it looks like the thing that God is calling me to do. I see no way. I have no clue on how to figure this out. The task seems impossible. What are you going to do in that moment? Is God worthy of trust in that moment? Has God ever proven himself unfaithful to you in your life? If God has been faithful to you every step of your way, it is illogical and insane to assume that the thing he's calling me to tomorrow He's just going to completely drop the ball, falter and fail. More broadly, I think what we can do is we can think about it like this. 
scan it out to the counseling and the education reality that we've been asking you guys to consider and pray for. We are asking you guys to help us discern, God, is this what you are calling us to do? I'm not saying, are we having a warm fuzzy and a warm feeling about this? I'm not saying, you know, well, in our eyes, it sounds like a good idea, so let's just run headlong into it. I'm saying we have hit pause, and we're inviting you to pray and seek the Lord on the, the body's behalf so that if it is true, if, if it is true that we should not do this, embrace these things as a church body, we say we've heard from the Lord clearly, and we're going to try to fan these things into flame on their own, but the Lord has something else for us. Or if it is true that God speaks very clearly to us and says, I'm calling you as a church body to promote the glory of the king through these two things, if it is true that he's done this, he's going to provide. To me, that reality seems impossible. I have a thousand questions to how any of that could work out. Where's the money coming from? Where will buildings come from? Where will personnel come from? Where will help come from? How will that not sink the pastors? And how will that not overload our plates? And where, how, and who, and what, and when, and where, and how, and who, and what? Those things are rolling through my mind. God, this is so unfamiliar. I'm scared because it's unfamiliar. God, I don't know. It's calling us into the unknown. I don't like the unknown. I confess that to you. I am a pastor who loves the known. This is a thing that's questioning me, calling me to consider the unknowns of this thing. It's going to make us stand out. It's going to seem impossible. It's going to affect others. But if God has said to do it, it would be insane and wrong of us as a church body to say, we're not going to do it. He is worthy of trust in that moment to lean into these things if he's called us to do it. And that's why we're asking you to pray. Will you please help us hear clearly from the Lord? Are you calling us to go like Abraham and Sarah? Because if the answer is yes, then it's time to light the fires, kick the tires, press the clutch, and hit the gas. Shooting off into the unknown, I don't know how it's going to happen, but trusting that God along the way will show and make the unknowns a little bit more known. When you're standing out like a sore thumb in the world around you, he will sustain you. He is sufficient. He's El Shaddai, God all-sufficient. He's the one who neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's not going to fall asleep on the watch, and then we stumble off into the darkness. For those who take refuge in him, they will know, taste, and see just how truly good the Lord is. For those who fear the Lord, they will lack no good thing. For those who seek him, good things will come to them. They will be blessed. These are promises of Psalm 34. So when do we as a people of Christ say, if God has said that, let's take him at his word. Let's live our lives accordingly in this way and press off into the unknown like Abraham and like Sarah. You guys get it. Do you remember the old hymn? When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust. I'm trusting you. You're worthy of it. Let's obey. 
than in fellowship sweet. We will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. Listen, what he says we will do. Where he sins, we will go. Never fear, trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way. Do you want to be happy in Jesus? Sign me up on the I want to be happy in Jesus list. What's the encouragement? Listen, trust, obey. We're going to spin through this last point quickly here, okay? So if true faith lives in difficult circumstances, then we also must see that true faith means dying in faith. Just look at how the verses are written there. Verse 13, these all died in faith. Who are these? This is be Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. They all died in faith. They did not receive the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth... If you were to ask, why did Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah live and behave as they did? Why did they do it? Surely some of us are going like, why? Why? The answer is that they lived by faith, walked by faith, and ultimately died in faith because their faith was a forward-looking faith. They lived in the dual reality of, I'm a human being with a present tense reality, but because I'm a heavenly citizen, I also have this future reality that is completely mine in the here and now. It's the already not yet. Are you a citizen of heaven right now in Christ Jesus? The answer is, yes, I am if I'm in Christ Jesus. Does that mean that I know this reality fully? No. That reality, an already reality, invades the not yet reality of just I'm a present tense human who's got a job and a mortgage and a car payment and kids and that kind of stuff. So while it's true that all these that we've talked about did not live to see the Messiah, witness the better sacrifice, enter the promised land inheritance, go into that dwelling place, here's what they did do. They did anticipate that God would keep his promise in the future. Thus, having seen, do you see that language? Having seen the fulfillment of these promises, how did they see them? He just said they didn't inherit them. How can you inherit something in and say, like, I'll have to, what he's saying is this, they saw it with the eyes of faith. So I'm sitting here going, I don't see the reality, but I see the reality. That Maranatha reality, Lord Jesus, come quickly. You ever experience that in this day and age? God, I want that reality to show up here and now. Having seen the fulfillment of these promises through the eyes of faith, they greeted them from afar. And listen, this forward-looking faith meant that they fully acknowledged that I am a stranger and I am an exile here on earth. In other words, listen, they embraced the alien nature of true faith in the living God. The alien nature. I'm not talking horror movies with like monsters shooting out of your, your torso, alien, okay? I'm talking the foreign nature. The stranger nature, the exile nature, the forward sojourner nature, the I'm not from around here nature of living by faith in the living God. They were pilgrims on the narrow way, says verse 14 and 15, with a heavenly citizenship in God's better country. They were strangers and exiles with a place prepared for them in God's eternal city. 
and being what they were by faith, they made no effort to hide their heavenly heritage here on earth. How many of us go into the workplace and try to dampen down and hide the heavenly heritage that we have? Not Abraham, Sarah, Abel, Enoch, Noah, their actions and the speech of their life made it clear that heaven was their home. Noah, remember what we said about Noah. He spent a hundred years sawing, hammering, calling people to repent, and the Lord Jesus Christ building this giant boat. He made no qualms about the reality. The reason why I'm doing this is because this earth is not my home. And it drove him to a radical reality of faith when the rest of the world was mocking him insanely. The actions of Abraham, the actions of Sarah, the speech, says the author, out of their mouths made it clear that heaven was their home. Whenever Abraham, Sarah, and the kids packed it up to go on vacation, cruising on the family camel, cranked up the local Christian radio station, the Building 429 song would come out and they would all chime in because it was the echo of their heart. All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I They weren't singing that just because it was the cool thing to do. They were singing that because it was the very fiber and reality of their soul. I don't know a lot, but I know this. I am not home yet. I don't know a lot, but I I know this. This is not where I belong, this stuff. It's just not where I belong. You can take the world. You can take the troubles. You can, take, you can take it all. Give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. Why? Because by faith, Abraham, Sarah, Abel, Enoch, Noah, saint after saint after saint after saint after saint after saint, flowing in the line of by faithness, recognize this. I am a stranger. I am an exile. I'm seeking a better heavenly home, the home whose designer and builder is God. And in this case, God looks at this kind of faith and what is the blessed assurance that we get at the end of verse 16. God is not ashamed to be called the God of men and women who walk by faith in him in this way. He's not ashamed. You see, as pilgrims on the narrow way, these men and women lived like the pilgrims they were in the here and now with their eyes set on the better country. And I wonder, here's the question for us, for those of us walking by faith in Jesus, does our alien status as heavenly citizens stand out in the same way? Do people at work, do people in your neighborhood, do people in your homes, do people in your family relationships, your friend relationships, in your CrossFit gym, wherever you might find yourself, do they know that this is not your home yet. You haven't reached it yet. Do they know that you're an exile and a stranger? Can people tell by your talk? Can people tell by your actions? Can people tell by your lifestyle? Can people tell by your habits? Can people tell by your hobbies that this is not your home? That you are a gospel refugee who doesn't quite fit in here on earth because you're a stranger and exile on this earth. Think about the Afghan refugee crisis. If a true, legitimate family from Afghan landed in Springfield, 
and you're sitting there talking with them, what you should be able to do is look at the way they talk, look at the way they dress, look at the way they eat, look at the way they think, look at the way they act, and somebody with half a brain would say, you know what, it's plainly obvious, I don't think they're from around here. Why? Because this isn't their home. They're refugees here. And so everything about them speaks of having a different home. The same spiritual reality is to be said of us. People should look at us and just go, you know, I just don't think you're from around here. Your talk, your walk, your speech, your actions, the what, you, what you hope in and what you hope for, you're a gospel refugee. And you're not quite home yet. And if that same Afghan refugee showed up and began to try to stamp down those realities and try to blend in and mold in, we say, no, no, don't do that. That's not who you are. We would fan into flame the reality. You, you are this, be this, talk this way, think this way, eat this way, speak this way, live this way. But so often we as gospel refugees attempt to stamp down who we are. So... The way that an Afghan refugee might live, we as gospel refugees, redeemed refugees, should live in the same way. That while I might have a family here on earth, a career here on earth, a mortgage here on earth, hurts, sicknesses, troubles, sufferings, and difficulties that come with living this side of heaven, it's plainly obvious for all to see that I have a heavenly home, a better country, an eternal city where Jesus in John 14 tells us that he is gone to prepare a place for me. Because Jesus has defeated Satan, sin, and death on the cross, he is left, and there's a heavenly city waiting with a place for you. The Bible says that reality should invade the present tense. And people should be able to see that about us. This, says the author, is what it looks like to endure to the end. To not only walk by faith in difficult circumstances, but to die in faith, trusting the promises of faithful God very firm, firm to the very end. Very encouraging, yes? May God help us to walk as redeemed refugees this week, okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come, move in power and move in might. Do only what you can do. Help us to not hide the refugee nature of who we are in Christ. God, help us in this way. Strangers and exiles are going to speak and talk and live and think with a different hope. And so by showing Abraham and Sarah, the author is saying, don't abandon that hope. Don't abandon the refugee nature of who, who you are. Cling to it, firm to the end. For others of us, we have a clear call relayed to us from the word of God and we're struggling with it because we know to walk by faith and what God has called us to do will mean difficulty. So God help us to trust and obey, for there's no other way to truly be happy in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray these things. Amen.